Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Katie Pettuccini. Uh, she's the author of Healing the Grumpy Athlete. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Katie, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how the book came to be? Absolutely. I work as a triathlon coach in my business called Holistic Endurance. I have a business partner, Sarah Grove, who coaches alongside me. Healing the Grumpy Athlete was written just before Sarah came on board with Holistic Endurance and it came about out of a desire to help athletes across the board, particularly in endurance, that I saw basically were falling to pieces and to tie all the information together regarding nutrition, gut health, training intensity, training volume, hormones, mood, uh, and a bunch of other things that tie into that and how they all relate and helping women understand their bodies, embrace their hormones to essentially achieve better performance. Can you tell me a little bit about how the name came to be? I like that, I like that name. It's a good name for a book. Yeah, look, I am, it, it wasn't a epiphany. It was very well thought out and I actually had quite a lot of people helping me with that title. It started with a big brainstorm on multiple big, big sheets of butcher's paper. I took myself away to Falls Creek to finish off the book and, uh, yeah, just each day when I was out riding, I'd sort of repeat each option in my head and see what resonated with me the most. Um, and where the grumpy athlete came into it is my why, really, and why I help female athletes and male athletes in this situation is that I, I do see a lot of grumpy athletes and what I mean by that is actually a little bit more uh, serious is that there's a lot of mood disorders and poor moods happening as a result of endurance activity when the original intention is we pursue swim, bike, run, often for the love and the joy of it. Uh, somewhere along the way, though, the training, the lifestyle takes that away um, and I'm a big believer that that doesn't have to be the case. So let's let's explore that. So um, you mentioned some of the things that can cause someone to become a, a grumpy athlete, so to speak, um, so endurance athlete. So what what is it that can cause someone to sort of uh, move that way um, and how does it relate to, to sort of what you've uh, written in the book? There's a big myriad of reasons. Uh, I can certainly pinpoint the common ones. Overall, I feel like it's partly due to the cultural influences of endurance that you have to go hard or you go home. And I don't see that as a fitting way for people to be introduced to endurance sports. Like you hang on to the, in the pool or on a bunch ride and you hang on for as long as you can, no matter how high your heart rate is and you go for as long as you can and that's defined a success. But physiology is much more complex than that and if we periodise and plan our training correctly, we're obviously going to end up with better performance but also wellness at the same time. And I think that's the factor that gets forgotten is people seek out performance and forget to consider wellness. And in some spaces, people don't 
perhaps consider that they can coexist. There's perhaps a belief that, well, if you're training X hours and you're training so hard that you couldn't really have wellness at the same time. But we've been able to to do that with our athletes and also um, other coaches in the industry are definitely moving towards these holistic principles, um, which are a balanced approach. We see time and time again that you do like the amount of hours you do in a week doesn't necessarily equal success. And I love a quote by a coach called Matt Dixon from Purple Patch, which is you should be training the least amount of hours to achieve your goals. Mm. Absolutely, because it, it's it's very easy to leave life on the table, especially if you're training uh, for an Ironman or you know, half Ironman, which, which I'm sure a lot of your athletes are doing. It's uh, it's a, almost a sort of part-time job um, around what someone might be working full-time hours as well. So it's a it's a huge commitment, and you know you want to you want to do as little as possible to get the you know your desi- desired result. And it doesn't mean going. Um, doesn't mean not putting in the the effort or the work but why not do it as as smartly as possible yeah exactly and that's actually a common misconception that comes up I've had people ask me some pretty funny questions about uh, what we do mainly based on our business name I guess being holistic endurance they're like oh so is it a spiritual service it's like (laughs) is it about you know just going easy all the time and fluffy stuff and pretty rainbows. And I was like, no, you know, we do this sport to train hard and endorphins and feel good. But it's all it's about bringing in multiple aspects of health and wellness to facilitate performance rather than just smashing yourself, really. Mm. And we had a strength coach on the podcast um, a couple of months ago, I think it was, um, Andrew Reid, who's sort of local. Yeah, local guys which, yeah Andrew's awesome. And uh, he put up a Facebook post sometime this week and he was, uh, he was essentially saying you've got to get the, the fundamentals right of get enough sleep, eat the right foods, do, your, do the minimum uh, amount of – sorry, the minimum – do the, um, uh, the required amount of physical activity each day. And he's a huge proponent of, of just walking a lot and just getting that um, really low heart rate but just um, active um, – you know that that activeness throughout the day, um, because if you're not doing that sort of stuff, then the 30 minutes, the 60 minutes, or 90 minutes of training that you're doing a day probably isn't going to matter that much unless you've got those those big things in place first. Oh, wholeheartedly agree. Like it's the absolute foundation of what we do. I'm a I'm a big fan of his, and uh, the low heart rate training is a big part of what we do and what I advocate for in healing the grumpy athlete to help athletes recover from whether it be uh, adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue, adrenal dysfunction, however you want to term it, basically an athlete that's fallen to pieces. That's a crucial element. And for these seemingly fit people, most of the time, they end up walking to achieve their heart, that heart rate because they are so unconditioned from a fundamentals point of view and an aerobic base because they spend so much time redlining um, at that threshold. They don't have that fundamental. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's something that I see all the time is just athletes not um, just sitting in the wrong zone too often. Mm. They don't do that. The easy work isn't easy enough and therefore a lot of times the, the hard work or the high-intensity work isn't hard enough. So it's, yeah, they're just sitting exactly. in, the, in that, the, that grey zone. So um that's yeah. If you can incorporate that into your training, if if it's something that you're not currently doing, it, it makes a, a huge different a difference, and you feel so much better for it too. 
Oh, it makes a huge difference. And that's the biggest feedback we get from athletes who come on board or they've read the book and implemented these principles. As hard as it is to people's egos to slow down uh, and really take it truly easy because I've never, ever had an athlete come to me who was doing their perceived effort easy enough. Yeah, ever. exactly. They've <laughs> never come to me doing that. I've always had to slow them down. So I'd love someone to come to me that is already doing their easy as they should. Mm. Uh, there's a challenge for you. And uh, where was I going with that? Polarized training as well. You just mentioned the gray zone is a key principle for that hormone balance as well for, and longevity in sports. So having easy as easy and spending a good 80% of your week there and then when you you go hard, you go really hard and you go well above threshold and you stay out of that grey zone for a large percentage of your week. And let's talk about hormone imbalance and uh, how it's, it can be quite common among endurance yeah. athletes and, and how that relates to weight loss or, or weight gain for those athletes. Yeah, definitely. What happened and how this, essentially how the book came about was I ran a survey for specifically for female endurance athletes because I was speaking to a lot of them and hearing really similar complaints to the things I was going through as well and finally realizing that, oh, okay, I'm not alone. I don't suck at this sport. Uh, this is really common. And uh, obviously went about investigating why. And that survey asked a myriad of questions from uh, do you take the pill? What's your PMS like? Um, have you ever had a amenorrhea or loss of cycle? Do you have period of pain, um, infertility? And stripped back all that data. And what I found was really actually quite uh, concerning because there was a good 500 respondents and the percentage that said they had no symptoms was, I can't remember off the top of my head, but tiny, like under 10%, maybe even five. So, And this is a topic that I feel isn't getting discussed enough, um, particularly if people don't know how to broach that topic if they've got a coach or even amongst their friends. It's like a bit taboo to talk about hormones and symptoms. Or the other thing I find is because it's common, it's accepted as normal. And I'm certainly here to say that just be, just because PMS or pain, period pain, imbalance, and even for guys, lack of libido or losing hair, just because it's common doesn't make it normal. It's not something you should accept and put up with. It's absolutely a signal and a symptom that you need to recognize and address. And one main thing that I see coming about for endurance athletes as a result of hormone imbalance is athletes who are eating quite well and that's obviously a debatable topic as to what is defined as good nutrition but let's say they're eating whole foods real foods getting enough of each macronutrient of carbs fats and protein and they're ticking all those boxes they're training a good x amount of hours per week so they're nailing that but no matter what they do they don't lose body fat or they put on and I see that as a common occurrence in endurance athletes because of a hormone called cortisol, which is a stress hormone. There's other hormones at play too, but that is the key one that I see being a player. So in endurance training, we demand a lot of cortisol production. But not only that, just a, our general stressful rush to daily lives, modern life um, is demanding a lot of cortisol production and throw training on top of that. And we've got a a 
a big recipe for disaster. And when our body can no longer keep up with those cortisol demands, it starts seeking other hormones that can produce that cortisol and therefore creates a hormone imbalance. Um, That concept is a lot more in-depth than I've just uh, simplified there and I do go into more detail of all the hormone nerdy stuff in Healing the Grumpy Athlete. So what could someone do if they found themselves in that situation? What sort of things would you recommend they change? And obviously it's going to be specific to each individual, but what are some of the the common um, things that people are missing uh, if, if they find themselves with that hormone imbalance? I'd say the most common and the most effective change is what we just discussed is getting the intensity and the effort right and sitting in the right zones. And that's essentially knowing your purpose for the session. For example, if it's an endurance set, then you need to make sure you're staying in your endurance easy heart rate zone and not in, say, tempo or threshold zone or above and really sticking to that purpose. So heart rate training, we utilize the MAF method, uh, the designed by Phil Maffetone, maximal aerobic function. Uh, so that would be the first action step to put in place is make sure that an athlete is sticking to their purpose uh, of the session and in their warm-ups and their cool-downs, sticking well below that uh, maximal aerobic function heart rate as a minimum. And then the second one is lifestyle changes such as just being mindful and generally slowing down. And I think what's really important for athletes to understand is there's a difference between slowing down and calming down. You can still take on the world and be awesome and do all the things you want to do, but it's about doing it with some mindfulness uh, so that you're not feeling rushed and stressed while you go about kicking ass really uh it's doing it with a little bit of zen in your life and that is going to look different for everyone how they bring mindfulness and calm into their busy world whether that's time out at the end of the day to do a structured meditation session or it's yoga into their weekly training if it's walking god forbid without a phone and just taking in nature um I've got a great um, action step that we get all our athletes to do, which is legs up the wall post-training. So it's basically a yoga pose. It's as simple as lying on the floor, putting your legs up the wall for five to ten minutes and doing some diaphragmatic breathing, and that's a great way to um, balance out those cortisol levels post-training. It's it's easy to sort of slip into that uh, mentality of just go, go, go and never slowing down. And, I mean, I found myself in that – in that sort of situation the last couple of weeks, got a uh, young baby and so haven't been getting much sleep and mm-hmm. um, been really busy with coaching and all that sort of stuff and um, I just sort of felt it all building up. So last week, my wife and I went down to the beach and just took a couple of days off and, uh, and surfed and just, you know, shut off the phone early in the day, didn't look at it at night. And boy, it makes such a difference. Like just, you can almost feel your body just take this big sigh of relief where, um, you've got all this tension and then, then it's just finally gone. So, um, that, and it just, yeah, it made me feel so much, much better. So it's, um, you know, you sort of, uh, you, you can easily get caught up in, uh, you've got to do as much as possible in, in a, in a day, but it's not a bad thing to take an hour, two hours out of your day and just relax, get rid of the technology, just mm. stretch, do yoga, whatever it might be, um, and that can really just get you back um, to a healthy headspace. 
it really is those small things that make a difference and something like the ocean is phenomenal that's why I live by the ocean it makes a really big difference just to sit down there get grounded chill out before going into a, a busy day or to finish a busy day that way and if someone doesn't have two hours that's cool 10, 10 minutes will make all the difference it's just about breaking that stress and busy cycle um, so I think that's key and we want to get to the point where it's not like like you just described and it's very hard with a new babe but having these strategies in place on a weekly basis so we don't blow up and go oh i need a whole week off i need to go chill (laughs) in the sun it's you know each week or each day we need these strategies so we don't blow up (laughs) yep yeah absolutely i see that a lot with athletes leading into a race you know we get into that mentality of leave nothing to chance and nail every session the closer we get usually that's the way our brains work but that's when it's actually most important to have that balance because what we'll find is when an athlete gets to taper, the body is signaled, okay, this stress is finally relenting and remember that stress can be physical or mental and the, the immune system is then signaled to relax and that's often when they get sick because um, cortisol does reduce our immune system. So there's lots of fallout and you know, what's the point in training and dedicating so much time and energy to our sport to only in like the week out from a race fall, fall in a heap? And that athlete isn't going to know that that could happen until it does. And mm. so we're really passionate about that education for prevention. It's so, so common, especially in, um, in elite swimming where um, where swimmers will get sick the week before they race because the t- taper sets in. And mm. then the body just lets go and it relaxes and that's, that's when uh, they, they get sick because they haven't uh, taken that time to just slow down or um, mm. they've been training too hard and then the body just finally gets a break and then it, that's when it allows itself to get sick. Exactly. Same for people going on holidays and back to that cortisol mm. conversation we're having about weight gain and you know, it's so common for people to lose weight on the holiday when they're actually not eating that well and perhaps drinking a lot more than they normally would because they're chilled out. And that is that is the difference that cortisol can make. I've had athletes come to me for consultations that, you know, training the house down, eating really well, putting on weight, frustrated as all hell, don't know what to do. And just by taking some simple changes such as heart rate um, being lowered in warm-up and cool-down, legs up the wall after each session, no coffee post-training only before, and meditation each day before bed and bang weight loss like it's Hmm. that simple it's pretty amazing yeah that's interesting um uh, let's talk about heart rate variability uh and i guess how you how you use it and how it can um be of help to athletes that ties into the whole getting sick thing and adaptation because i think what athletes potentially forget sometimes or don't connect with or understand is that we get faster stronger fitter when we rest and adapt. It's not while we're training hard. It's the recovery that allows for us to get fitter, stronger, faster. And so a hard session or a a great session that's been nailed can essentially go to waste if recovery isn't adhered to. And that's where monitoring what's called your heart rate variability, which is different to heart rate in that it looks at the time gap or the time between each beat as opposed to the beats per minute. And that variability tells us a lot about what stress is currently on the body. 
And I get athletes to test uh, their baseline each morning, but also post-training, and we get to understand what their quote-unquote normal is. And therefore, we can pick up any potential um, unexpected stress because when we are looking for adaptation, be the faster, stronger, we want to elicit training stress. That is the goal, but it's about finding the sweet spot of not too little and not too much. And heart rate variability helps us do that. For example, if I know that someone's heart rate variability post-training is normally 89 as a random number to throw out there, and then the next week that same session has uh, elicited a post-training heart rate variability of 100, I know that something is potentially going on there. Either they're they're feeling lack of sleep, they're potentially overreaching, not overtraining, and uh, they might have too much life stress. There might have been some nutrition that wasn't quite right. And that's where that conversation can come up to work out, do they need rest or do they need to change their nutrition? Do they need more sleep? Uh, so it's a really great early signal. It can often pick up if an athlete is about to get sick. So it helps us prevent that as well. It helps uh, formulate a really specific taper to ensure the athlete has got that optimal level of freshness before a race. So heart rate variability can be measured uh, just by your phone camera, actually. It's not as accurate if you get the the other devices, um, but that's a quick and easy one. There's links to that in the book. And then the second one is to get a Bluetooth heart rate monitor or utilize the one you've already got to sync in with an app like Sweetbeat or iFleet. And you gather your baseline data over nine days and then after that it will give you what your normal is and help you make a decision each day whether you need to perhaps back off intensity, your body might be under too much stress currently, or perhaps you are ready and raring to go and today is the day to really optimise the current position you're in and push that intensity. Or it might say way too much stress, today is a day off. So it helps us. Um, it's like a, a little coach in your hand so you don't have to message your coach 10 minutes of every day going, what should I do? How do I feel? Um, and helps an athlete develop that intuition. It's not something I want athletes to utilize all day, every day, forever. It's just a great tool initially while an athlete's getting to know and understand their body so that when signals come up, they can use their intuition to make a decision what's best for them, whether it be to back off have a day off or go for it. Mm. I've got a friend who coaches a, uh, an age group swim squad and he has his athletes every morning when they wake up um, use use an app. I think it's H, uh, for, what is it? HRV for training um, mm-hmm. where it just uses your phone camera. And um, yeah, and that way it just allows him to uh, to keep an eye on what his athletes are, uh, where they're at. And I, th- I think he can sync it in as well with um, so he can see that every morning, um, and, he, and he can see yes. where they're at. So, if, especially if you're working with someone uh, that closely, like his athletes are training, uh, they'd be up around nine times a week in the pool. So, mm. when they're just training that much, plus they've got gym sessions and everything, it's um, it can really help um, you as a coach to, to keep on top of that stuff because it's very easy for someone to um, get sick when they're really pushing themselves that much. Um, so, yeah, great great way to um, to keep an eye on it. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like it sinks in with Training Peaks, which is the tool we use to um, program all our athletes and just a really simple measure and to communicate to your coach or even to yourself about where you're at and perhaps that reminder that, 
uh, something might be going not quite right. I remember when I first started using it, it was a few years ago and I had like this lump on my head and I felt like just off. I had a bit of a headache, nothing too unusual, but something wasn't quite right. I tested heart rate variability and it was the highest it had ever been. I thought that's bizarre because I'd been sick with it before. I thought, oh, dear, something drastic's about to go down. This is not good. So I put some sickness protocols in place like infrared saunas and herbal teas and ginger and garlic and all those things I normally do. Two days later, broke out in chicken pox. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to be able to avoid that, but I no. did get the um, the early warning signs that my body was about to be under <laughs> some massive stress. <laughs> Can you talk a bit more about, the, uh, about that, about the sickness protocols you've got in place? So if you... You know, if you, if you identify something like that through heart rate variability or you can feel it coming on, what sort of things should people be doing to um, avoid or minimise how sick they get? Yeah, so the, I've got all this um, the detail outlined in the book, but to give an overview, um, the first thing is to communicate to someone, whether that you've got a mentor or you've got a coach, it's to tell them where you're at and how you're feeling as soon as possible. Don't wait to see how it plays out and listen to the symptoms early on is the key uh, because once it's in full-blown mode, there's not much you can do other than ride it out and get over it as quick as possible. The first thing is, though, is to look after someone's gut health. So I know you've had Steph Lowe on the show before and she's got heaps of resources on this topic and I'd recommend jumping on her website and utilising her recipes is that our gut health will be the deciding factor as to someone's immunity. And if someone's getting sick more than once, twice a year, their gut health is definitely impaired, impaired and that needs to be addressed stat. So that's the first thing from a prevention point of view. Uh, and then if you do get those signs of uh, illness, it's obviously de-stressing uh, because that increase in cortisol, if you keep pushing your body, whether it be work stress or mental stress, which I should mention can be perceived or actual. So if you're lying in Bali, having a cocktail in the sunshine in a bikini, but your mind is racing about all the things going back on at home in your workplace, that is still a cortisol physiological response in your body. So it is about our thoughts as much as our actions. And that's where taking time out whether it be to sit on the beach or just at home under the doona, listening to a mindful meditation, go to a yoga class. So it is that de-stress is the first action. The second is to make sure all those gut health nutritional aspects are taken care of and upping all your anti-inflammatory nutrition, including turmeric and ginger are probably my two favourites. Um, and then I get athletes to either have a magnesium bath or an infrared sauna or both. Great. So in, in sort of summary with that, it's uh, de-stress, relax, um, then look at your food and mm -hmm. then um, uh, infrared sauna or what was the other thing you mentioned? A magnesium bath. Magnesium bath. Great. So there's some, uh, yeah, some simple things to when you feel that sickness coming on to, uh, to get on top of it because it's, it's funny how, I mean, I've, I've been in that situation before where I've been training hard and I can feel something coming on, but I don't want to admit that it is mm -hmm, so i just mm -hmm. keep pushing and pushing and then inevitably three or four days later uh it hits and then i'm out yeah. for yeah a week it could be up to 10 days if uh you know if you're really bad so it's um yeah it, it just pays to listen to your to your body sometimes and um go with your intuition or your gut instinct because most of the time it's right 
Yeah, and that's it. And it's not like you have to completely stop training. In some cases, if it's bad enough, yes. And that's where heart rate variability comes into it. But it's just taking away the volume and the intensity. Keep the movement there because movement is energy. And uh, utilising those heart rate variability scores to know when you can reintroduce some volume or intensity and do that on the side of caution. No matter how close you are to a race, if you can get to a race week in a state of wellness as opposed to optimal performance, you will always outperform yourself. Mm. Yep, definitely agree. Um, mm. and, and just finally, can you uh, give me some examples um, uh, of people that you've worked with who, whether they've experienced hormone imbalance or adrenal fatigue and then some of the strategies that you've used with them to help them uh, overcome it? Yeah, sure. Like the first uh, one that comes to mind is actually my business partner, Sarah Grove. Uh, When we got together, it was really through our same experiences of burnout, overtraining, and what resulted from that was really poor moods, low motivation, you know, really questioning what we were doing in our sport. And that both of us played out in our lives in terms of lack of work productivity, having to nap all the time, uh, lots of PMS and loss of um, regular periods and all those sorts of things as well. And then the things we put in place were the reduction of training and the training specificity and utilising that polarised model that we spoke about earlier, so staying away from the grey zone Supplement protocols are also really key for someone that has got into that burnout and overtraining. You do have to be careful. Please don't buy just straight from the chemist or supermarket. It does have to be practitioner quality. And if you are racing at a high level, you have to be even more careful because you just don't know what goes into supplements. Mm. So that was a, a key strategy for most of our athletes And it can be as simple as um, common supplements such as magnesium and and vitamin C being the first point of call for adrenal repair. And then it's getting a bit more specific to that athlete, whether they need um, to boost up some progesterone or decrease estrogen. So, yeah, it is very personalized. So she's a, a great example. She, Sarah you know, was really questioning her sport, was fatigued all the time, unhappy, and not able the thing with says was she was actually able to perform still but she didn't enjoy it at all and she had heavy legs all the time and so from the outside no one really knew because she was always on the podium Mm. but what was going on in the background was an absolute mess so what is wonderful for Sarah now she can still perform and perform even better with half the amount of training life balance happiness no gut issues, um, and happy hormones. Sounds much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a much happier human being, as am I. And then there's athletes, uh, one that came to us recently, a male athlete who is quite successful, no major signs of burnout or overtraining, but really wanted to be smart about uh, his Ironman journey leading into his first one. And he's done running forever, so he's technically uh, a very... Uh, experienced athlete and should have a very good base. When we got him onto low heart rate training, lo and behold, he had to pull him back himself back by a good minute per kilometer, and that was really hard. Obviously, had to let all his buddies go ahead. Hmm. But what has since come about after that first six week period of you know battering the ego 
is by pulling back, going slower, putting holistic um, principles into his life, is he's 45 and he's PBing across every distance, whether that be 5, 10K, 21K, um, and time trials on the bike are all better than he's ever done. So it's been, it was really interesting because it was the kind of athlete that really fought the principles and a lot do. It's like, I don't understand how, you know, backing off and going a bit easier and not sitting at tempo is going to get me faster. So it does take a bit of trust and faith in the process initially until an athlete sees their results for the first time in that sort of six to eight week period and they get that buy-in. That's been an exceptional journey. And then... The other one that comes to mind that is really significant is actually my husband. Uh, we met at a training camp about six years ago and he was training for his first half Ironman. He got sick a week out, <clears throat> ruined his day. He still did well, about a 5.20, but he's capable of much more. And he tried to push through the rest of that season to go into sprint distance for fun, quote unquote, and he fell apart and he spent the next year and a half trying to rebuild. He was an absolute mess. And obviously impacted personal life, work life, his mood. Um, and since then, he's changed his training principles in a really big way. You know, all his mates are going out for five, six-hour rides and he holds himself back and follows his program as he should and does half the work that they do and will always get them on race day down to a 4.30 half Ironman uh, sort of time and going for his second Ironman in Bustleton at the end of the year. Mm, awesome. And a recent marathon result, you know, all these long runs done, um, low heart rate under 145. Obviously, that's not the heart rate he would run a marathon at and he had trust in the process. He didn't run any longer than two and a half hours. Uh, yeah, average 405 pace on the day. Very nice. Jeez, that's a, mm. uh, that's a good run. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. Well, for someone who's listening to this, where can they find uh, your book, Healing the Grumpy Athlete? Head to holisticendurance.com.au and you can scroll down the page to find it there or go forward slash ebook. All the details are there. Currently off the market, being edited and will launch in the next three weeks. So you can actually plug your details in there and I'll email you a discount code for that relaunch. Excellent. And uh, by the time we get this out, it may be close to um, having that book ready to go. So, um, yep. So, if you are listening, uh, go to holisticendurance.com.au and uh, find the book, Healing the Grumpy Athlete. Katie, thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, hopefully get you back on sometime soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.